So I'm going to start today's episode off with a question. So have you ever heard someone arguing about a topic that you generally thought everybody agreed on and then were suddenly surprised when there were very different opinions? Well, that is kind of the impetus for this episode and the topic that I'm speaking about today. And maybe I'm inadvertently partially <laughs> revealing my ignorance in, in a way with, uh, with it, but I still think it's very relevant to F1 right now. And, you know, this is a safe space to learn uh, with myself as well as you guys. So um, I, I hope this will be of some, some interest. But over the past few races, especially with the way Imola played out with the weather and the rain, I've heard quite a bit of discussion from the commentators that I listen to, which are the Sky Sports guys, Martin Brundle, all those guys, about the usage, uh, validity, and value of DRS in racing. Now, I'll admit, this wasn't something I had ever really dwelled on that deeply. I'd always had a positive attitude towards DRS and how it functioned in the sport. I hadn't really stopped to consider that people might dislike it, but there is quite a division over the topic. So I'm going to chat in this episode simply about what DRS is and how it works, because we got to get that baseline down before we move on to anything else, and then chat about both sides of the argument. I'm not, I I have an opinion on this, but I'm not going to blast it in your face right away. So I want to go through both sides of things, uh, and then we'll see where we end up from there. So without further ado, let's go. So DRS stands for Drag Reduction System, and this really finds its core with things like overtaking and aerodynamics. Those are the main two sections under the umbrella of DRS that we'll be focused on. And DRS functions as an adjustable rear wing on the car that can be used to facilitate overtaking. And it was introduced over actually a decade ago into the sport. I believe 2011-ish is when it first showed up, made its first appearance. And since then, it's obviously gone through some alterations and rule changes like everything in the sport does, but the general functionality and structure remains largely the same to that original. So DRS is not only a system, but it is also a part of the car. It is placed on the back wing. So there is a flap on the the spoiler, if you will, that big back wing on the rear of the car. There is a flap in the middle portion of it. And so when DRS is deployed, that flap will open up and create a small space. So in the simplest terms, since I am not adept at A, understanding and be explaining physics as well as I wish I could be. In creating that space in the rear wing, more air is allowed to flow through. So less is blocked and stopped by the material of the car. And so in allowing more air to flow through, there is less downforce on the car. And so this also means less drag 
There is less force holding the car back. Therefore, it can move through the air much faster. And so DRS is really essentially a way for one car to have a speed advantage over the other. Now, you can't just use DRS wherever you want to, in whatever place. Not only does it not work like that, but there is also, when I say not work like that, there with the aerodynamics that are necessary for DRS to function to fulfill its purpose, you can't use it wherever you want. And also there are just rules against it. The FIA has a rule book and they say that in order to use DRS, you need to be within one second of the car in front of you. The drivers will also control it through a button on their steering wheel. And there are also specific portions on the track that you are allowed to use DRS. That means that not every corner, not every turn is a place that you can, should, or are allowed to use DRS. And most commonly, the places that you'll see it used will be the straightest parts of the track. So long straights, uh, these are referred to as DRS zones, and they're often between two and three zones on each track, and they differ everywhere. They are not the same across the board in terms of length or placement. It really all depends on the track layouts, the number of turns, stuff like that will all come into play. Now, the second part of this is going back to aerodynamics. That's uh, has a lot to do with DRS, because in order to understand how it really works, you have to, to take into account that when a car is following another car at a close distance, the car in front, so the leading car, is cutting through the air. So in doing that, the leading car is putting in a lot more work to splice through the air than the car behind it is, the the close following car. So that car in second has it a lot easier. In being close to that other car, They get to take advantage of the one in front doing all that work and punching a hole through the air. So that clean air that they're allowed. So all around them, the front car is dealing with all this dirty air and the dirty air is thicker. It's heavier. It has particles in it. I don't know the the science of it essentially, but it's harder to get through than clean air. And so the following car gets this kind of bubble of fresh, clean air that, you know, doesn't hold them back like dirty air does. And they get to take advantage of that and open up their DRS. So when they're in that bubble, when they're in that with within that one second, they hit their button for DRS and the flap will open up. This will allow them to decrease the drag and lessen the air pressure, pushing the car down onto the track. And so this will give them a speed advantage, which I believe is somewhere around 10 to 15 miles per hour. So the main point in implementing a system like this back in 2011 was simple. They wanted to improve racing and increase the frequency of overtakes, which that set off a a, a kind of alarm button in my head going, that sounds really familiar because the exact same sentence could be applied to what we're hearing and seeing right now and what we saw in the past few seasons. The reasoning behind so much 
of what has changed between last season and this season is that they wanted the racing to include more overtaking and be more competitive, period. So in hearing all of this being said now and understanding the research that I looked at in in discussing this, I felt like it was very relevant to talk about because it was almost like history was repeating itself. The question that I was asking myself is, as I was hearing the commentators speak so poorly about DRS as a system and how they felt negatively about it and its impact in the sport, I had to really kind of hit pause and rewind because to me at least, it felt counterintuitive, at least to what my knowledge was. But in checking around online and in forums for for this episode, I definitely saw that there were a lot of people on their side. So let's go through the kind of arguments against DRS. And I will include my opinion a bit in this, but um, I'll, I'll get through them as, as cleanly as I can. Because a lot of the rebuttals against the usage of DRS was as simple as saying that DRS makes overtaking too easy, which I immediately struggled with. I really, that kind of hit me like a bullet in the forehead. I didn't really know. It didn't compute as well as I I wished it could. Because for so much time beforehand, especially in the past couple seasons, people were complaining about how difficult overtaking was really when it came down to the discussion of Mercedes dominance. Because of how successful that team was, And how, you know, they would win races with a 30-second gap with Lewis out in front. A lot of people were just, you know, generally unhappy with that because the racing wasn't competitive. And then you had a lot of teams who were looking for ways to justify more changes to the regulations so that Mercedes wouldn't be as dominant. Or they were simply trying to explain away why they weren't as competitive as they wanted to be. And so back to my point, you would hear them say that overtaking under whatever aerodynamic regulations they had going on at the time were too difficult and that something needed to be done to rectify that situation. Yet, as I am saying this, you know, when something like DRS is instituted, excuse me, some people were up in arms with it immediately, saying now that it made overtaking too easy. So it's kind of like, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears when she's eating the porridge that one is too hot and one is too cold. And the the one in the middle is just right. You kind of can't find that just right point with this discussion, it seems. And a lot of it harkens back with something that I think about, uh, feel is very integral to a lot of discussions I have on this podcast about this aura of danger and raw, real racing, whatever that is, pushing the envelope, you know, that whole uh, masculine existence in Formula One that has been perpetuated for so long and still exists and has definitely shaped how many people talk about things like safety and diversity on the grid and in the paddock. And so things that seem to shatter the, quote, sanctity Uh, of racing or defile it or whatever you want to say in some way with racing, there is always pushback. That was what happened when the halo was first introduced as a safety device. When now we look at it and say, hey, if we didn't have the halo, if we didn't make that change, 
Because everyone was like, oh, it's the death of uh, open cockpit racing, whatever. If we didn't have the Halo, we would have lost a few lives with recent crashes. So, um, I don't know. People in kind of conjunction with saying overtaking is too easy with DRS is, is that DRS also promotes boring racing. That since there are, there are specified DRS zones around the track, that drivers will not attempt risky passes on tougher parts of the track, that they're going to wait and try to pass only in the DRS zones and because it'll be easier and not try anywhere else. Which sounds like a ridiculous argument when I say it out loud, because anyone knows that it's work smarter, not harder, not the other way around. Um, and, and another comment is that a large number of potential battles become nothing more than the push of a button for one driver to get around another, which yes, I, I get that can be anticlimactic. It can make the racing less tense, take the surprise or suspense out of it. Sure. That, that has validity to it. And you can also get DRS trains where there is a group of three, four, five cars that are all within one second of each other. And so uh, the DRS essentially cancels itself out when everybody turns it on. That To, to avoid that, that's why the, uh, the racing director and the FIA will not turn on, will not allow the usage of DRS immediately at the start of the race when everybody is so close to each other. And now in a way, a lot, the core of a lot of the disagreements over, over DRS is that it technically creates a more artificial racing environment as DRS is acting as a strong driver aid. So more clearly put, it's an artificial solution brought in to fix a problem with the way aerodynamics currently work in Formula One. So I think to sum up their side of the argument, they think it in some way is kind of hurting what racing truly is at, at its core by allowing by giving the drivers something to help them instead of them using their own skills or uh, kind of the under their own power. It's, it's the car doing the work for them. Now, on the other hand, what do supporters of DRS say? So as you've probably grasped, I, I believe I'm more in this realm of the discussion. I really had just generally never viewed DRS in a negative light. I hadn't personally stopped to consider what parts of it people might dislike. But I do understand that there are always that it's always had its fair share of people who would like to get rid of it. And and it's more of I think supporting DRS really is a more realistic, less idealized view of what racing is. I want to pull a quote from a website called The Race, where one of the authors, Matt Beer, says that, quote, unless F1 can find a magic formula of aerodynamic and mechanical rules that allow for more overtaking and then freezes them in a way that they can't be corrupted by teams' efforts to make their cars faster, DRS is an acceptable way of rebalancing the problems modern aerodynamics cause for close racing, end quote. So I, that really sums up what I think makes DRS totally required that with the way the sport is structured financially, how payouts are given, who gets more money, how decisions are made, just in general, the power structure of the sport, 
DRS works as a way to just take a step to flattening or kind of leveling the playing field in some way. It doesn't perfectly do it, and I don't think anything will, but it's it's a way, I think it's it's a totally acceptable and necessary way to making racing better and closer, because I think if we didn't have it, if there wasn't any aid like that that could be used on every track in, in different variations, the racing would be even less exciting because it, it it would take away the chance totally of many teams to even attempt overtakes. Because if you're struggling so far in the back and you know you're not going to get past anybody on the corner, but you're able to, to turn on DRS for the straights and hope that you're going to get a speed advantage strictly from aerodynamics, not coming from your power unit. I think a lot of teams, especially the teams in the midfield and the in the back of the grid would be up for that. And there's also just the fact that without DRS, a lot of races would be you know, would be considered what people would call a parade. You know, that's what we get at street circuits like Monaco and why some people, including myself, struggle with the racing there. Yes, it's absolutely gorgeous. I would die to go there. That's on my bucket list type of thing. The racing at least is kind of subpar to me. How many times has it happened where whoever is on pole wins the race? I mean, the percentage of that happening at Monaco, I think is one of the highest places on the calendar. It happens all the time, almost every time because the track is so narrow and, 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 and overtaking is very limited. DRS comes into play there because if you didn't have that asset for a lot of cars, they would just be forced to follow the car in front of them for the whole race. They wouldn't even be able to attempt it. So I think DRS in places like that is super necessary. And a lot of people would rather see uh, what those who hate DRS would call artificial overtakes rather than a parade of car. I don't care if you think that what Daniel Ricciardo did to whoever or Lewis Hamilton passed whoever was considered artificial. It's still an overtake. It still happened on my TV. I'm not going to analyze it that quickly so I, or, or that acutely. I think it's a valid option. It's a sport. People are looking to be entertained, not just watch a bunch of cars go by in the same order from the first lap to the last. So I think in a perfect world, we'd like to have racing that doesn't require DRS, but that that isn't, uh, that's not real life. However unrealistic that may sound to you initially, I think the general tone is hey, we'd like F1 to have a deep enough level of competition so deep that we won't have to go out of our way to create avenues to have better racing, which does have its merits as a concept. I just think that the way F1 runs and what they value would make a world like that very unlikely. But you you can dream, of course. Now, to widen this discussion a little bit, I want to make a comparison to... Formula E and IndyCar. So side note, I had the absolute delight of attending the Grand Prix of Long Beach for IndyCar earlier this month. I would highly recommend anyone who is interested in motorsport in general to check out IndyCar. There's absolutely fabulous racing. 
since it's a spec series, the cars are really quite similar. The racing is very close. They have some great talent, some up-and-comers, as well as some XF1 names that you'll certainly recognize if you've been watching for a few years. I followed Roman Grosjean over from Formula One to IndyCar, and I have definitely not been disappointed. He has been doing fabulously. I'm a huge fan of IndyCar. I cannot speak highly enough of it. But they have something in their sport that is called push to pass. So this is a mechanism on their race cars, which provides the driver with the ability to increase the car's power for short periods of time, usually via a button on the steering wheel. So this is super similar to DRS in many ways. And its usage is super important, worked into strategies. They can use it to defend a position or to overtake. And it was introduced only within the past few years, so it's still very new. But now there is a big, there, there is a large difference between the two. Because with DRS and Formula One, you can only use it in certain places, but the you can use it as many times as you want. In IndyCar, you can use it wherever you want, but its usage has a time limit. So the drivers manage it themselves, and they have 200 seconds of a 40 brake horsepower boost to use wherever they want on the track, anywhere. It doesn't have to be in any type of zone or any specific turn or corner anywhere for any reason. Now in Formula E, they have two things. One is called fan boost and two is called attack mode. So I'm still new to Formula E, learning it as I go, but as a true blue racing fan, I think it's very fun and I also think it's the future of racing. But they have fan boost, which I think is super interesting because as the name sounds, it directly involves fans who are watching the races live. So as the race is going on, they get to vote, or maybe it's beforehand, excuse me, I think it might be in some time leading up to the race weekend, they get to vote for their favorite driver via various social media channels to give that driver an extra boost of power during the race. And this happens at every single race. And then there's what is called attack mode. And this was introduced in the 2018 season. And this is also where drivers receive a boost by driving through a designated area on the circuit that is off the racing line. So you will see the cars kind of take a wider line that that requires them to go out of their normal racing line to go through a specific area. And then once they go through that area, they can press the attack mode button in a designated attack mode zone to activate the engine boost. So they go to a certain place to kind of get the approval or whatever to use it. And then in a certain zone, they can activate it. And then it lasts for two to three minutes, I think, uh, throughout all areas of the track. So once you activate it in a certain area, it just starts and it goes on for those two to three minutes. And you're required to use it twice during a race, you have to use it no matter what. Um, and it goes on for those, those minutes. So those are two kind of different in Formula E and IndyCar, different worlds that have found a similar yet not so similar solution or, uh, avenue to allowing more overtaking and facilitating more overtaking. 
that honestly seems to work a bit better than what Formula One does. And granted, the worlds are very different. Formula E's cars are electric. The IndyCar uh, cars are different in their own ways. So it's not, you're kind of comparing apples to oranges, but also there are enough similarities that you could pull pieces of one and apply it to the other. So in hearing the arguments about DRS and what people think about it, and then making these comparisons to other single-seater racing series, I, I think there is something that F1 might be able to learn from its peers. Now, there was one particular sentiment in all of this that made a lot of sense to me. I've spent a fair amount of time trying to understand Formula One's monetary and financial structure and the economic decisions they make because I've thought they were confusing and backwards for a long time, especially when I looked at other sports like the NFL and the MLB. Uh, But in understanding that, as well as looking at those other sports, I have a lot of problems with how Formula One functions. The comment that another author from that website I mentioned earlier, The Race, uh, said was that DRS, while some people may want to get rid of it, and some people may want to keep it, it is ultimately a symptom and not the cause of a problem. A lot of those people who dislike the system treat it as something that they can just wish away or get rid of and immediately the sport will be fixed because of it. But it doesn't, definitely doesn't work like that. It has so much to do with aerodynamics, turbulence, dirty air, which are all real physical things that are rooted in physics that are not going to go away. It's like gravity. We can't change it. It's not, it's there. It's always going to be there. They're a part of real life and they will always be a problem for every single car that races from the most famous tracks in the world to every freeway and side street in every single city across the globe. So DRS, while viewed by many as a necessary evil, is simply an attempt to work alongside the world that we live in and a way to make racing better in how things are right this instant. So sure, I can complain about how the system seems ultimately to benefit those with the faster cars more than it does the slower cars, that maybe it doesn't serve its purpose as well as I wish it does. Yes, I can do that all day. I can complain, I'm good at it. But at least I see DRS as a step in the right direction, or at least it has the right intentions at its core. There is so much more in the realm of aerodynamics that I don't understand well enough to tackle here. I wish I could. But simply choosing to remove the DRS system would cause harm to the car's aerodynamics, and it would require an overhaul of how the car looks and functions and feels. Keeping DRS poses its own problems, but getting rid of it does the exact same thing. And I don't think that in accepting that DRS is, quote, necessary right now, does that mean that F1 shouldn't try and make it less of an object of importance of the future? I'm not here to say, yes, we absolutely need DRS no matter what, and I never think it should go away. No, I'd like to see the car's closer and have the racing be better. That's why I was so delighted to get into IndyCar. It's because the racing is so fun and there's a different winner all the time. 
I, it, I'm not watching the same two teams fight at the start all the time. That's exciting for somebody who likes to watch a lot of sports. So I think in looking to create or reach a sport where overtakes are made more completely of a driver's own abilities is something to shoot for. But I think people need to recognize how technological this sport is and how advanced in that regard it will continue to be till the end of days. That is what F1 was founded on. That driver aids and other avenues to make the racing a more seamless, more more effective, and more efficient sport will always be pursued. And if you're looking for a more concrete solution from me, one of the last things I will mention is that track design, layout, and placement of DRS zones can be a big factor in how well the system functions or plays out in a race result. I think a lot of journalists and experts in the motorsport field will comment about the length and placement of DRS zones, that those factors can play a role in how effective or useful DRS can be. Since these zones aren't uniform over all tracks, they differ, some being shorter than others, some are much longer, and considering that there are often between two and three of these zones across the whole track, they there is importance in where specifically they're placed, how the track is designed to incorporate them in. So this is less of an argument over whether or not DRS should be used, and more saying, okay, if we're committed to using it, how do we use it in the best way possible? And considering I don't see DRS going away anytime soon, I would say that this is the route the conversation is going to continue to take as we build new tracks and rearrange the calendar. We will see how Miami plays out this coming weekend, how Las Vegas works, since that is another street circuit, and how those new additions to the calendar will either hurt or help the usage of DRS. So at the end of the day, the choice is entirely yours about the validity of DRS. My personal opinion is that I'm fairly certain it will stick around unless we start to hear more commotion from the drivers themselves about it. I haven't been privy to a ton of conversation on their end regarding DRS, uh, as I think there are a lot bigger problems (laughs) at play going on in the sport, but we will have to see how things go in this 2022 season with all the regulation changes that we've seen. Uh, Since these cars were specifically designed to be more geared towards overtaking with the ground effect coming back. So seeing how DRS works in tandem with that will also be an interesting uh, perspective to take. And so there's a lot going on aerodynamically with these cars. I think there, there'll be a topic of future discussion somewhere in there, but for now, it's up to you. Should we get rid of DRS? Should we keep it? Is that even the solution to the problem that we have? So you decide. So... That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again soon.